0: Hola, I'm Elias Torres, co-founder and CTO of Drift. You are listening to the American Dream Podcast. Did you know that Drift is part of just 2% of VC-backed startups led by Latin American founders? Well, I'm on a mission to change that. On this show, you will hear from leaders who have achieved their own version of the American Dream. We'll talk about what the process looked like to get there, the obstacles they faced along the way, and the work we still have to do to build the new face of a diverse corporate America. Welcome. We have Bob Rivers with us at the American Dream Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Bob is the chairman and CEO of Eastern Bank right here in Massachusetts. And it is an honor for me to have you on the show. You're a really big deal. You're really important. And we did not meet, but I first saw you on a stage speaking about four years ago at an event called Hub Week here in Boston, where it was a Latino-centric event, and yet you were there here, participated in this panel. And I was like, who is this guy, right? It's like, yes, he's the CEO of Bank, right? Big deal. But somebody came to me and says, Bob is the real deal. He is the true ally of the Latino community here in Boston. You should get to know him someday. And here I was sitting on the stage listening to you and the panel, John Barris and others were there. And I'm thinking, Bob is a white, straight male in a Latino you know, event focused on, on furthering the Latino community and closing the gap on social inequity for us. Why do you do this? You know, why do you show up at places like this? Why are you fighting for us? And how can other people get to know to what, what you do for the community and boss? Thank you for being here.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for that way too kind introduction, Elias. I mean, it was just it's over, the,
0: <laughs> over the top
1: for sure, but I appreciate the opportunity. It's great to see you. And, you know, this would be, it's like a conversation we would have normally, right? And, yeah, absolutely. You know, I appreciate the question and it's, it's one that... I've got a lot over the years and really actually where it begins is with the late Senator Robert F. Kennedy. So my name is Robert Francis Rivers, and I found out in my teen years that my mom named me after RFK and I'll tell you, it really comes back to my parents were Massachusetts Democrats, big Kennedy fans. My mom had just lost my older brother, John at childbirth around the time Jackie Kennedy and John Kennedy lost a baby. John was my father's name, so named after John. And she was so taken with the way that RFK mourned for his brother after his assassination, that that's really where the name came from. Cause it's not a family name. Francis is, Robert is. And I asked like, so where did that come from? I don't see it anywhere. Well, that's where it came from. I read a lot about RFK as a result and have over the years. And I think what he represented in the last years of his life particularly following his brother's assassination, the way he reached out to others that weren't as fortunate to him was again, really moving and influential and inspirational to me. And so I'd increasingly think about how would I put that into action? Wow. And then I had a real experience because again, you know, if you're me, you know, white guy, didn't grow up with a whole lot of money, but by definition, a straight white guy, you know, I came to recognize pretty quickly that, you know, I was born on first base and had a lot of inherited advantages by virtue of you know, gender, race, and sexual orientation. So, so I, I, my ex-wife at the time, she and I grew apart. Our careers were in different directions. And her next relationship was with another woman. And she now identifies as queer. And I saw her go through that process. Again, this is someone I was with for 14 years, dating and marriage, very close to, Newer her family and watched her go through this process of really identifying with who she really is and sharing that with her friends and family. She's a Vassar college professor. So she's someone that has always been in a very progressive workplace. So the issues weren't at work. The issues were at home and her family was very much like mine and so you really internalize that when you're that close to someone, their experience is similar to yours growing up, their family reacts probably much the way you think your own would and probably would if I had done the same, it was very hurtful and to hear about, to watch, if you will. And it really, at that point, took all the things I'd sort of intellectualized from reading about RFK and really went to my heart and said, something's going to be done about this this, this can't happen. And it happens to lots of other people, not just those in the LGBTQ plus community, it happens to anyone who doesn't look like me. And so when I came to Eastern, it's really where I had my opportunity 16 years ago, you know, I've been a long time banker, been in the business 40 years. And when I came to Eastern really had an opportunity to think about how I could actualize it and. Thankfully through Eastern's philanthropic platform and the culture, of the place already had a basis to leverage. Mm -hmm. And so what I did when I first came to Boston is I started to reach out to communities that didn't look like I did. I didn't want to just go to the typical white guy, business leader events. I wanted to go to the events that people like me typically didn't go or weren't even aware of, and I got a lot of early guides from people, Colette Phillips, Yvonne Garcia and others that really helped me just become more aware of who's in that community, build networks, develop friendships, and really the pursuit there was really to have relationships that would teach me, that would correct me when I said things that weren't quite right, would help me change my thinking, better understand their experience, knowing that I never could fully because it's not my own and I don't live it. And that's really how it all got started. and. Really, the pursuit there was one of actualizing all the stuff that had built up over many years in a way that I could synergize with my profession, our business here at Eastern, so that I could continue to sustain it as I do today.
0: Wow. there's a really, really impactful story and one of a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's a lot of pain, right? But, you know, you could have chosen many paths, right? You could have been angry, you could have gone and said, I don't want to deal with this, but you chose the better, the right path of understanding and developing empathy. And I think what you're doing is incredible, right? Which is what, you know, I think we're all seeking for some sort of happiness, you know, maybe not success, happiness usually comes first. And you're blending your experiences, you're merging everything, combining everything into a single life and a purpose, right? What you learn from who you were, to who you want to be right And that empathy that humility to be able to say i want to just learn from others i want to learn about their experiences and that is so fulfilling compared to just want to do better and more all the time and take advantage of your advantages right instead you're saying no i want to just enjoy meeting and learning and helping others and creating a new thing where eastern bank the foundation you your company, your career and the community could all benefit, right? Which is like a win-win situation. And, and yeah. I people thought that way, right? Right, I mean, it's, it's
1: really about, you know, having a purpose, you know, what's your life's purpose? And my life's purpose, I mean, I've been very financially fortunate, which is great, but it's never been my quest. It's never been my my life's purpose was to make money. And I like the banking business a whole lot, but it's I like it a whole lot more if it's something that I can really leverage. And being at a community bank, Having been at larger banks certainly makes it more meaningful and keeps it closer to the ground and really knowing what's going on in different communities. And I do think you have to synergize these kinds of things. You know, I talk to a lot of business leaders who are interested in doing these kinds of things, if you will, whether it be advocating for different communities or different issues. And I say, that's great, but you've got to synergize it with your business and your life in some way. Because if you don't, it's going to be off to the side and it's never going to get the attention that you want to give it. And it'll be frustrating and you won't be all that effective at it. But if you can find a way that it synergizes with what you do every day, then you'll find the fuel to sustain it for a long period of time. And that's really how this happens to be constructed for me, allows me to be really in it, thinking about it, working with others on it all the time.
0: Absolutely. You had to go through some painful moments, but what you have right now is is something that I wanna showcase to people. I think what you said is, is extremely wise, right? And that I want people to hear and learn, especially those that might not be on first base. I love that line. You know, I think I'm trying to think of it like as an immigrant when I first came to this country, I don't think I even had a ticket to enter the the stadium. You know what I mean? I was outside, you know, cleaning the the sidewalk, right? And to be able to be in there, I think is it's it's special for everybody to hear that I say that the American dream, the definition is the ability for anyone, regardless of their race, their gender, their ethnicity, that through hard work and fairness, they can achieve their own version of their American dream. Mm -hmm. And what you just said is vital to that, which is, it's not just about money. It's not just about a position. It's not about a job. It's about being able to do things that inspire and give you a purpose, no matter what you do. Right? And and I, I see that myself, like I'm in the tech world and I've been extremely fortunate, extremely blessed. But when I look around at my peers, it's like, if there is no purpose, it's endless and it's meaningless. Right? And my purpose as a Latino that people are teaching me in the community, including you, is what do I need to do? And that's why we do this podcast, right? In some ways, it kind of like what's the synergy between Drift and this podcast? But it's to me is what gives me the motivation to say I do this to help people in underrepresented communities learn about people like you, right? So they can be inspired to achieve their own version of success, right? So yeah, yeah. Well, I mean that's that's what's
1: really so striking about your story. I mean, as you well know, because you live this, there aren't many people that look like you, and they seem to all basically kind of look like me in a lot of ways, probably younger, but in the tech sector is one of the least diverse industry sectors around. And that has to change, not only because it's the right thing to do, but it's smart for the sector. I mean, you know, the font of innovation is really the bringing together of different perspectives to develop a more robust collective thought process in a time where things are moving more quickly than ever. They're more uncertain than ever, and the answers are more complex than ever. Boy, you better get enough people around the table with different thoughts, experiences, backgrounds, whatever it is, because that's going to get you to the right answer, that's going to drive the best performance. And where I see any organization where they don't have the diversity, that's the thing I talk about is this is first and foremost, a matter of performance. It starts with the right thing to do, but at the end of the day, to sustain it with your company, it is critical. Otherwise, you are going to be, at best, irrelevant, and at worst, out of business.
0: The words that you're saying are so striking, but I don't think that people realize how striking they are, right? And I think in tech, we talk a big game about diversity, right? Because that's my echo chamber, right? I hear a lot of it, but we struggle, right? A lot, you know, Adrift has good numbers if you benchmark him against company here and there. But it's not enough, not for what the impending situation that you're saying is going to happen when it comes to minorities and numbers and the world as a whole, right? Especially we've gone remote. And so I think that you, banking is not my industry, right? But you actually have done, and and in no way I want to ask you, your numbers and your this, I know you're doing better, right? Than most from the board and on down we talked a little bit about this yeah we are but you know and i'll tell you you know we are it's it's you're a role, role model. model you're a role model like what you're doing though like i know i know i say the same thing but what i'm saying is but you are your industry you are creating opportunities at all levels across your organization you're making a big difference and like everybody talks about it and everybody's asking for advice Maybe I want to zoom in on your board first, right? And mm-hmm. say like, I feel like boards are the least diverse. Like we have boards that are least diverse. You know, C-suite levels are, are really not diverse. And then we have a lot of the most of the diversities at the lowest level. You have been able to do many, many changes across. Maybe just speaking at the board level, what is this focus and desire? area? How do you make it happen?
1: Yeah, well, that's really where it began for me. And again, got a lot of help. With that, I mentioned Colette Phillips early, you know, I didn't even know her. And I just reached out and said, Colette, you know, you don't know me, but I've heard a lot about you and I need your help. And what I was trying to do is we've always had a pretty diverse board of directors relative to others, but we have two other boards, our board of advisors and board of ambassadors, which was almost entirely like 98% straight white guys, you know, a function of history and other bank boards and really wanted to to diversify that. So I needed to develop these talent networks. That was part of my early outreach and the purpose was, okay, I'm on this hunt to find people who will allow me to access their networks and help me understand who might be a good fit for us. And the reason I wanted to diversify the board first, in many ways, it's it's easier. What I mean by that is when you go to hire someone, that's a real commitment. I mean, they've got to give up another job to join your company. So it's a big thing. You go ask someone to be on their board, much less, you know, much less. I mean, they don't have to give up their day job for that, for example. And a lot of people want to be on boards. So I knew that would be an easier path. And I knew it was a great place to start because if I was going to better diversify the senior leadership of this company and the workforce generally, people would first evaluate Eastern and look up and they'd say, okay, so who's running the place? And if they looked up and saw a board that wasn't very diverse, it would undermine my credibility about how serious I was taking this. In addition, I knew if I brought in people from other communities on our board, the other thing I knew that I could do is access their networks for others to join our company as well. So that was really the intent that it started with. And we've made a lot of progress on that. Today, you know, our, our collective boards are, you know, well north of fifty percent women and or people of color and or members of the LGBTQ plus community. And as you say, it's, it is higher than most by for sure, but it is a low bar and it's one until we achieve at least the representation of the communities that we serve in the greater Boston region, we're far from done. And I think that's one of the things that I worry a little bit about is we can never get too self-satisfied because when your comparator is not that great, but you happen to be exceeding it, you can start to get too lost in your own echo chamber and drink your old kool-aid or whatever metaphor you want to use and then you don't push as hard and you kind of stop and so
0: this is again a continuous process here i love what you said right and that brings up a lot of potential dark issues right that we have in our system which is that that was genius that was smart right it's like It's harder to go get a CC executive that is diverse, that has as much experience as those people that went on first base from the get-go, right? And that now in their careers, they could be on third base and so forth, right? And so it's it's easier to find those in the network and everybody knows. But the board was much easier, right? And that's something that we struggle. Everybody says, how come we'd have representation on the boards? And you're putting it out in the open, right? That it should be the easiest place to do it. If we don't do it, it's because people don't want to create the opportunity and make the room, right?
1: No question about it. You got to be intentional. I mean, one of the things that we did to is we just set up targets. You know, at the time we took out the census for the area and said, you know, Blacks are X percent, Latinos are another percent, Asian Americans. And, you know, just, just did the list and said, okay, so where are we? And we had gaps all over the place. And said, "Well, that gives us directive. And as we go through our nomination process and our election process, it's very intentional. Now, certainly, you always start with we got to have people who are leaders, well networked, interested in the community, bring a skill set that's additive to our collective whole. I and mean, you always start with talent. But you know, we always look for talent, solve for diversity in that way. And you got to be really intentional. The other ripple effect of it, which has been great of all of this, is within the industry." And I've seen this time and time again. You know, our boards are big. You know, we can only have 12 directors. They don't turn over all that often. We have advisors and ambassadors. They're a much bigger group. Not everyone can be on the board of directors. There just isn't enough room. But if you put people on your board, all of a sudden, companies that aren't looking as hard for diverse talent or don't have the networks, all of a sudden, they start to look at your board. And so we've been fortunate, and I encourage this for other banks and other companies to look at our board and if you see someone i am not at all offended if you want to ask them to join your board because that's good for the general order and i say this to both boards i said you know before you take it give me an opportunity maybe we get something coming up on the board of directors and we've done that too but oftentimes because the numbers we're not able to and that helps seed the industry and seed other industries the other thing that helps is when I'm on the boards of other organizations that are trying to diversify their boards is I have a ready network of people. I was just on a call earlier this morning with an organization does a really good job in diversity, but like all of us have to continue to push, get better. And we're in this conversation, they're going through their goals and, you know, cause I'm on this, this zoom call and this meeting and I'm just sending to the executive director a constant stream of private chat messages about, did you talk to this person? Did you talk to that person? How about this person? And thankfully shows how good this organization head is, had met with about to connect several of the people I sent through the chat, but not all, not all. Yeah. And and so for me, that feels good because it's like, okay, a lot of us can sit on boards and occupy space. This is a way that I can add value and again, move the general order forward in a place that really is critical for Greater Boston. I mean, let's face it. I mean, Greater Boston faces a lot of threats. The perception of racist being a racist community, which is real and backed up by fact, is a real threat to Boston's future success unless we as a business community and collectively everywhere get together and really work hard to solve it.
0: Tremendous, that was a really powerful statement. I think it's it's a real, real, real concern and it's backed up. I think that your insight and the role modeling that you're doing on wherever you participate, and maybe I'm gonna volunteer to do things, but I think we need, you play a key role in this community, right? Because like we, if we fight for equality, we have to do it. There is no no other way around it, right? And that's what we will do, and we will continue doing, and we're gonna help each other to break the ceiling. But you, people like you play such a key role because you're on the other side and you're saying, I'm here to help and I'm willing to take chances and show others, people like you, that is the smart thing to do, right? That is the right thing to do. And maybe even model to say that you go into a board and you're like, I'll be here for some time. But then you know what? I'm going to swap myself out because you have the privilege. There's like Latinos do not get asked to be on board. You're being asked to be on a board every day. And so you could go around and be like, I'm joining this. And then I'm going to swap myself out with somebody in the community and then go there and give chance and give your, you know, stretch your hand and say, like, I'm going to create the bridge and the connection for people to get to know the community here in Boston and overcome this label of a really racist city, right? Which is, it's like, it's palpable. I notice it when I'm in Miami, when I'm in Tampa, Florida, I feel completely at home, right? I feel different. It's a different place. And Boston needs to evolve because, you know, the whole world is, is competing on the same stage.
1: Yeah. No, I think, I think one of the biggest mistakes many in Boston make is to resist or get upset about being called a racist city. Yeah. And, you know, it's like with any problem, the first step is, is recognition of the problem, ownership yeah. of the problem. And again, you know, I believe it's a racist city, not necessarily because people say it is, although they do, not because people have experiences that bear that out, but they sure do. The data tells me this, the data tells me, the leadership on boards, the leadership in the business community and senior management tells me that the statistics on income and wealth, the various disparities that have been laid bare in the pandemic, the list goes on and on. As long as those exist, any community that has those evident are systemically racist, maybe not overtly. I think too many people look at that term and say, you know, think of the Ku Klux Klan or, you know, some of these things that were, you know, incredibly overt, violent, awful years gone by that are certainly a lot less and almost non-existent in that way today. But they manifest themselves in other ways, which are more subtle, yet nonetheless really hurtful. And so I just see it as this is a place where I can play a role in this community to help advance it, where I bring something to the party that maybe others don't bring as much. Thankfully, I'll tell you a lot of, you know, white male business leaders that I know are increasingly interested in solving this problem. Yeah. What I find among most people is not sure how. Exactly. And I want to do something, but I don't know how, or I don't know anyone who can help me with it. And that's where, you know, I go back to networks I've been building for well over a decade here in this community. That's where this is essential. I mean, you and I were introduced by Vanessa Calderon-Rosado, who also is on our nominating committee and someone who is one of the most respected leaders in Boston's business community, period, regardless of community or race. And, you know, you get to know Folks like that develop relationships, ask them if they could access their networks and give you some advice. You're starting to make progress. You'll never do anything on your own, obviously, in life. And in this one, as a straight white guy, there ain't no way you're ever going to solve this one on your own. You need help. You need people who have lived this life, have these experiences and these relationships that can help you move it forward.
0: Wow. Wow. You're incredibly bold and courageous. I mean, this is. When people say, are things getting better? I would say me talking to you right now tells me things are getting better, that we can have this conversation in the open. You said what you said. We're in a new world. We're in a new era. And I'm really excited and hopeful for the future. I'll tell you something in return about Boston. It's my city, right? It's like I've been here 20 years. And I'm going to say the opposite. I think everything that you said is true, 1,000%. But that, to me, I'm an optimist and I think about the future, right? And I don't want to get, you know, focused on the past. We are this history. This is how things, you know, were. but if we change, it's the only thing I care about. But what I will reiterate, right, is that besides all those things that you're saying, it is possible to succeed and to create an amazing life in this country and in this city, Right. And so I think that I want to make sure that we also talk about that, right? That it's it's possible because of people like you and because of the system that we created in this country is way more open, despite the inequalities and the racism, that it would have been in my own country where I am the norm, right, to be able to break through, you know, social and economic classes, right, and opportunities. So this system, the the entrepreneurial spirit of this country, right, And, and the city and the support of the businesses still creates opportunity. What we're trying to do is make it more distributed and more accessible to everyone, right? by right Despite where they come from and create. So like you're doing that, you're saying that. I will also, I'll just back it up and say, Boston, it's amazing. It's possible. And we want to help you and I help others to do that. And I think people should hear it. There's so much actionable stuff that you said, like connecting with Vanessa, using her network. This is a woman that has spent her life, you know, in the community, working in the trenches create opportunity for the new generation to be able to, to connect with her and find opportunities and get faster to first base, you know? Yeah, no question. I mean, you know, I grew up here as well, and
1: this is a great community, a great city. And what gets me excited is we can be so much better. This city has a long history of being a leader, being the first, being the most progressive. And that's a standard that we have to uphold, not only because that's our legacy, but that's our opportunity, That's our X factor, and we need to push that harder. And there's signs all around us. Our new mayor, Michelle Wu, is another sign of progress and hope, and I couldn't be more excited. We'll have a new governor. Again, another opportunity at that leadership role to push us forward. And I think the more that we find these opportunities and lean into them, we're going to move this city forward in ways that we hope for and will achieve. You know, one of the things that is also a great thing about Boston... It's small. It's small. I mean, you've been in other places. I've been in other places. It's a place that if you grow up here, you think it's big, right? It's, it's, we consider ourselves a hub of the universe. But in reality, it's a very small town. And the benefit of that is your ability to develop a network, a critical mass in a network, get to know people, come together and solve problems and actually make progress. That's another terrific opportunity for this town because it's, it seems bigger than it really is. But that's its benefit because its impact on others and influence on other places and people can be very high, yet your ability to solve it is easier than a lot of bigger cities where it's really hard to break in and really get your arms around it. It's one of the other things I really love about Boston.
0: Yeah, I think people are inherently good. We just need good role models, right? If you're in a tough city, I don't know, let's attack New York, right? Where people are tough, they're going fast, they're minding their own business and they don't have time. Compared to a place in the Midwest or or Maine, I was talking to someone telling me that in Maine, the neighbors like bring their packages in, you know, and in New York City, they just steal them or something, right? It's like, you know, people, you can move someone to a location and if you have the right role models about how you treat one another in the real world, in the community that is so small, it can create a ripple effect where everybody is like, you know, Vanessa helped me. I'm going to help somebody else. That person helped somebody else. Bob helped me. Bob connected with this person, encouraged that person. And we just keep passing that along. We can change our community because it's so small so quickly. It's really, really a small town.
1: Yeah. And I think the other thing, we've got to be willing to be honest with one another. Yeah, you know, I mentioned earlier, we got to own this challenge, this reputation. Perception is reality. And there's a lot of reality in it. But, you know, we've got to also be honest with each other when... You know, we're basically facilitating a narrative that isn't quite true or, or amplifying a narrative that it isn't quite as having as much impact. You know, again, it goes back to that. You're in the echo chamber, our own Kool-Aid. We're great. We're making progress. We're better than others. And there's time and time again, particularly when it comes to DEI efforts of one sort or another, where there's too much padding of ourselves on the back without being honest and certainly recognizing whatever progress has been made, but really being honest about the progress that hasn't been made. And, you know, I can cite a whole bunch of examples. I'll pick on the Massport model. You know, that's a great model. And, you know, Dwayne Jackson is the husband of our lead director at Eastern, Deborah Jackson. He's a great guy. And he was really the spirit behind driving that with Tom Glenn over at Massport at the time and others. That manifests itself in a hotel project where there was a lot of representation and participation from businesses of color. Great. But a model means others followed it. And so far, I don't see anyone following that, really. And okay. so that's the thing. And I think whenever I hear Massport model, I kind of I like, yeah, it's a great thing. The Massport thing is a great thing, but it isn't a model until we institutionalize it in some way and it becomes replicated. So, and, and I think that's one of the many things I think around town sometimes that get overblown and people declare victory
0: when in fact the battle has only begun. Exactly. I want to wrap up on that note of, we have to, what is it? We have to put the gloves down. We have to put the facade down and we have to be honest and transparent, right? We can't just, your conversation here has been nothing but honest and authentic, right? And if we have more of those conversations amongst ourselves and one another, it'll start sharing the right message and the right intention of what we truly would want underneath, right? By seeing it modeled, by seeing collaboration across ethnicities and everything, right? And people is like, well, look how they, they work really well together. Look at the potential, look at the new ideas, look at the progress, look at the ability to grow a business faster, be able to hire, be able to find talent, being able to service the community, your customers, and so forth. The more people we share the true stories, the in-depth stories, right, that are honest, that are authentic, that are what we are experiencing, the faster we'll be able to make progress, right?
1: I agree. And, you know, I think it does start with the conversations and it starts with relationships and that fosters those conversations. The thing I always focus on is the actions and the outcome. I'm in too many rooms where everyone's in agreement that this, that, or the other thing could be better, and we all agree, and then we walk away. Yeah, and it's like, well, let's do something about it. Then, Absolutely. like us, not not you know, yeah, not, yeah. not not the gee, why don't they do something about it? Whether it be the government or somebody else, what are we going to do, knowing that we can't solve the whole darn thing, but. Maybe we can create a model that others would follow, or maybe we can at least make some ground. I mean, each of us individually can do something and should. And I'm always struck by the fact that, you know, well-meaning people sit around and nod their heads, and then we walk away from the conversation and nothing happens. It's really important that when we're in these conversations that we think about, okay, if this is a conversation I want to have and participate in and I care about, I've got to take responsibility so that in the future, these conversations Aren't the same, that they're better, and that we've established measures that hold ourselves
0: accountable to making it better along the way. It's amazing. You sound like the CEO of a company. It's that like, you're a doer, and that's the way it has to be, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm 100% with you. I call it extreme ownership. I call yeah. it GSD. You got to get shit done. LFG, yeah. Whatever yeah. it takes, right? It's like Bet. there's nothing more in my personality. People say, What is your biggest strength? It's, I just cannot be inactive, right? I have to do something. Mm-hmm. Momentum starts somewhere. Take the first step. Don't just talk about it, right? right? And I think I think it's a great message. You're a great role model. Well, I've you. learned so much from you today and encourages me to, to share this and others so other people can hear you and be like, I want to talk to Bob. I want to be able to get help and, and get, get going for doing this thank yeah. you so much for what you do oh, for thanks this. for the
1: opportunity again it's great to see you Ilias. and and you know again you and i talk outside of these things yeah so let's cool. come up let's come up with something we can do together okay absolutely
0: and we gotta get shit done we gotta get something done yeah, absolutely thanks for listening to the american dream podcast make sure to hit subscribe so you never miss when a new episode drops If you like this episode, please leave a six-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're interested in learning more about my American dream mission, subscribe to my newsletter linked in the show notes.